Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for insightful analysis and enlightening discussions. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thanks for joining us on one of the 47 radio stations, iTunes, YouTube, or the show website, CREshow.com. We have a fantastic show for you today. It is titled Boom, Bubble, or bust. That's right, boom, bubble, or bust. We're going to talk about where we are in the cycle. There's been some talk about the low cost of money, uh, this, these good times. We're kind of long in the tooth in this cycle. So we're going to talk about where we are in the cycle, what to expect moving forward as interest rates rise. Uh, we have some great guests. Let's start with Dr. Larry Souza. He is Senior Investment Economist and Advisor with Pillar 6 Advisors. He's joining us on Skype. Larry, thanks for joining us. How are you? Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Thanks for being with us. So, you know, there is a lot of demand for commercial real estate. It seems like, you know, we've got prices that uh, are above what we've seen, especially for, you know, some of the sectors like, uh, you know, office and industrial, some really peak prices, especially in cities like where you are right now in San Francisco. Some people are concerned that maybe some people are overpaying, maybe we're a bubble. What do you see? Uh, I think, well, I guess uh, we have to put it in the, uh, let's look at the top 10 markets. Um, you know, 80, 90% of the institutional capital capital is really focused on the top 10 markets. Um, I, I see that there's going to be continued interest uh, in those core markets, in those uh, class A property sectors. Uh, there's a lot of money that's pent up that needs to be placed. Uh, they want to be in the core class A uh, cities, uh, New York, uh, Boston, uh, Seattle, uh, San Francisco, LA, just to, to name a few. Um, there's plenty of money out there, not only pent up on the institutional side, but what I think is really interesting is you're seeing massive amounts of capital flight coming out of emerging markets. Um, if you look at where the world is right now in regards to the economic cycle, uh, Brazil is in a recession, Argentina is in a recession, Japan is in a recession, China is decelerating, uh, Europe's on a border borderline recessionary uh, cycle. I mean, uh, the United States looks like the best place to put money currently, um, and they're converting uh, their foreign currencies into U.S. dollars, which is propping up the dollar. And they're uh, going into U.S. Uh, government bonds, which is propping up bond prices and keeping interest rates low, which also bodes well for commercial real estate from a spread investment standpoint. Um, but people are also looking at commercial real estate to store value and to deploy, and they're looking at the U.S. Uh, as a place to, uh, to place that capital. And uh, because of the political uncertainties and because of the recessionary environments, the United States will continue to be the number one place to place capital, particularly into commercial real estate, for at least the next two years. And all that demand, Larry, is that creating what some people are saying that there may be bubble prices here? What do you think? Um, well, if you look back historically at 2006-07, which was a, a, a very, very highly leveraged environment, the banks were lending, the interest rates were low, we thought we had seen peak prices back then. We're now seeing prices exceed those prices in this cycle. Um, again, there is a lot of capital. Uh, the interest rates are still continuing to be low. Uh, real estate provides that, that spread over treasuries. And I just don't see uh, really the capital flows letting up for at least the next couple years. And I think what, what will trigger 
uh, a correction in pricing will be the interest rate cycle that will be initiated by the Federal Reserve. And they've already communicated based off of the most recent employment numbers uh, that they will raise interest rates maybe 25 basis points um, uh, in their meeting coming up in December. Uh, my feeling is that they will continue to keep interest rates low through the election cycle through 2016 because going back in time they've never really raised interest rates during an election cycle but after the cycle is over because of the over accommodation uh, they will start to uh, raise interest rates and I'm forecasting a mid-cycle correction by 2018 of at least 10% off the top. Wow. Uh, my biggest concern is that we've had and we've experienced a recession within the first five years of every single decade going back post-World War II. And I even went back 150 years and it is persistent. There's a 90% probability of a recession in the first five years of every single decade. And the only time we, re we experienced a recession in the last five years of a decade was 2008 and 1958. And if this uh, turns out to be persistent, then I'm advising my clients right now to take tactical maneuvers in reallocating their portfolio, to be defensive, to take into consideration a mid-cycle correction in 2018 of at least a 10% off the top in pricing, but a, be prepared for a very large and severe recession in 2021 through 23, where you could see pricing correct uh, up to 40%. Whoa. And, the, and the reason why I say that is if you look at the majority of the emerging markets currently, their debt to GDP ratios are in the 100, 150, 250 range, which means a lot of these sovereigns do not have the tax revenues to service the interest on their bonds and eventually will probably default or ask for uh, haircuts uh, by bond investors. And that will uh, flow right through to the balance sheets of these pension funds, to the banks, and will impair the uh, uh, their balance sheets and will create a recession. Okay, so that's what's going to trigger the recession. Forty percent—that's a pretty big number. Well, you know, if you look back at the uh, the 2000, late 2007, really eight, nine, ten cycle, um, you know, pricing, particularly in uh, lower quality assets and tertiary markets, saw at least a 50 percent. Uh, haircut. Uh, the Class A markets and the Class A properties will hold up better than those lower quality tertiary market uh, assets. Um, but again, you know, I'm forecasting a uh, maybe not a financial crisis again, but a severe recession because of the de sovereign defaults that will uh, is just going to have to happen at some point in time, and that's going to happen probably in 21 through 23, and that's not that far off. No, it's not. And and what would you expect for interest rates uh, over the next several years? That, that's a great question. Um, I usually, uh, as Alan Greenspan said, um, if you want to track interest rates and you want to track the inter the interest rate that's the most important, it's the 10-year Treasury yield. And the 10-year Treasury yield is currently around 2.2%. Uh, uh, I'm forecasting that it will rise to 3% by 2017. And uh, I don't believe that the 10-year uh, the Treasury yield will get back to 5%. Uh, if you go back and you look at the recovery peak phases of the business cycle going back 30, 40 years, the average yield on the 10-year Treasury during that time period was 5%. 
I just don't see us getting back to 5%. So I'm saying something between 3 and 4%. 3% by 2017 and maybe 4% by 2018. And when do you think this might start? I mean, we've had some unrest in Paris and other parts of the world. Do you think it might start uh, in December? Um, if the uh, job numbers uh, continue to come out um, strong or GDP growth rates come up uh, above trend, and let me put that in perspective, uh, the Fed is looking at uh, gross domestic product growth rates. Um, the uh, rule of thumb is that at a 3% GDP uh, growth rate, the economy is growing at its potential and inflation will be at the core rate, which the Fed has targeted at 2%. Um, so we're watching GDP and GDP is, has come in well below that potential, which means that the Fed will continue to be accommodative in their uh, interest rate policy. The Fed's also looking at the unemployment rate and the unemployment rate currently is, is around 5%, which would be considered full employment based on historical standards. If you look at the monthly job growth numbers, uh, on average over the last two years, uh, the U.S. economy has generated about 200,000 jobs per month over the last two years. Um, if job growth continues at that range and unemployment uh, rate starts to dip below 5%, then I believe the Fed has the, uh, the data to basically uh, start raising interest rates, well, which, I, which I believe they will do in December. Yeah. Well, that's interesting to see what it'll do. And uh, so a correction of 10% in 2018, a recession of 2021-2023 with a correction of much as 40%. Uh, Larry, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate uh, your insight. You're welcome. Well, thank you very much. And uh, well, stay tuned. We're going to have some more opinions on where we are. Is it boom, bubble, or a bust? And uh, when will interest rates rise? Will impact what have on values? If you're making decisions how to asset manage a property, buy, sell, trade, uh, stay tuned. We'll have more for you. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. Today, the title of our show is Boom, Bubble, or bust. Yes, we're talking about the commercial real estate cycle, where we are in the cycle, what might happen as interest rates rise. Please welcome my next guest is Todd Coleman. Todd is CEO of CRE Tech. He's also a CCIM instructor. Todd, thanks for joining us on Skype today. Thanks, Michael. Good to be here. Now, I know you said that shirt's red, but on Skype, it's looking real purple, <laughs> real techy. <laughs> well, it's uh, the holiday season, so I thought I'd dress in uh, Christmas red, but uh, you know how Skype and technology works. Yeah, there you go. It, it, it brings out my true colors, I guess. <laughs> there you go. Well, <laughs> as, as I said in the opening, and uh, it, commercial real estate and, and the real estate in general uh, always cycles, right? And uh, so where are we right now on the cycle? People are wondering uh, if we're at the top and uh, we're seeing the highest prices that we're going to see. Well, that's a great question, and I'm going to go back a little bit to some of the previous conversations I've had. In 2007, in August 2007, 
I came out with a video similar to what you're doing now in talking about how we were at the top of a credit crash and a lot of changes were happening on Wall Street at that time. So I kind of warned at that time of an impending correction in the market. Well, oh, you know, and, that was, and that was go-go days, right? <laughs> that, that was 2007 was one of the best days. Yeah. In fact, if you look back, that was August 2007. If you look back to uh, the top of the market in the entire 2000 to 2010 realm, the peak of prices hit in September 2007, a month after that video was done. I think we're pretty much in the similar type boat right now. In fact, today, now, what'd prices, you say? And what did you say in that video? Well, I said that uh, the credit markets on Wall Street are changing that they're not lending anymore as they have been before and that we need to prepare for a correction in the marketplace. You can uh, you can go to YouTube, you can search for that video. It's Todd Kuhlman Credit Crunch. It's on there, it's still on there. I can't get rid of it, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> well, great, so where are we today? You think we're in a similar well, spot then? Well, what's interesting about that is we saw the market indicators coming in August, September, uh, August, September 2007. But the correction really didn't impact everybody until a year later. In fact, Lehman Brothers didn't fall until September 2008, uh, 13 months after that video was done. So I think we're kind of in the same situation here. What's wonderful about real estate compared to other investments that you have, such as gold, such as stocks and other things, is you can basically look and predict some of these cycles. And I tell people, I say it's great when you have an up and down market because if you understand and you can get in front of that market that's when you make the money so if you're buying low and selling high which we all want to do hey this is a great market to do that in you just have to follow the cycles and sometimes it's really hard for us we get into a situation where we just love all the exciting stuff and everything's going up and up and up and better and better and better in fact we are at about hundred and twenty percent of the pricing value that we were at at the peak of September 2007, we're 20% above the pricing schedule that we were then, uh, right before that correction. I'll call it a correction instead of a crash, <laughs> but right before that correction incurred. So, and I tell people, I, I tell real estate brokers, I tell investors, I say, this is not a bad thing. It's a typical market cycle. When you don't make money in real estate is when the market stays absolutely uh, horizontal. But when you can make money is when the market's on an uptick and you can make money on the downswing. So you just have to know when those cycles are adjusting. So I'm going to be very positive about this. If you can stay in front of this curve, you can help make money. Again, buy low, sell high. <laughs> buy low, sell high. You heard it here, <laughs> right? Well, so Todd, the good times are certainly here right now. How long is this going to last? Well, we have a bunch of different variables and a bunch of different factors coming into play. And I know you've had a lot of great uh, guests on here, and you've got some more guests showing up with their different uh, perspectives on this. So I'll take my perspective on this, uh, the interest rate perspective as well as the demand perspective. You have to kind of balance both of those. Right now in my market, which is Austin, Texas, and so many markets like Austin are real high-tech driven. And so I, I want to keep a close eye on technology. We have a tremendous amount of venture capital funds still going into the tech fields. I think you need to keep an eye closely on that venture capital. If you can have that as one of your indicators on is this venture capital still flowing 
or is it slowing? And so as the uh, technology starts to progress, I think we, we can really identify what's going to happen in that technology market because that's a demand driver. The other thing that's a demand driver is the international amount of international influx of money coming in, places like Asia and China, a lot of money coming into our markets that are driving a lot of these prices. And they're not so concerned about the return on those investments as well as they are pres preservation of their capital. So you've got these two different factors that I would really keep a close eye on is in addition to the interest rate factor. So you've got to look at the interest rate factor as well. So do you expect a correction and when? Well, I, I think right now, and this is a great time to be doing this interview, I think right now this is the August 2007 discussion where I think we're still in a great time. I think we're still in a market that's plugging away. Uh, some markets are just starting to see, and, and you might have some frustration from some of your viewers, we're like, man, we just started this correction. What are you talking about? Now we're yeah. gonna start this downswing? Well, some of us have been in this uh, correction for quite some time with the upswing for the last, oh, four, five, six, seven years. But then you have a market like Phoenix, they're just in their second, third year of the correction, but they're correcting so fast. It's going up so fast uh, that that line is just goes going straight up. Well, you can't go straight up forever, Michael. You have to have a correction at some point. I think what you'll start seeing is the correction will begin, well, I'll say a correction, the pricing adjustments will start when the interest rates start going up, and that's gonna happen, that could happen this month in December. All right, so give us some ideas of cap rates down the road. I think one of the things as a CCIM instructor uh, that you can help us with is, you know, thinking about exit cap rates. So we're buying a property or we own it now at some point. Uh, we got to look at selling it. What would you look at exit cap rates down the road? Well, and this really prompted a lot of my analysis into this particular subject as I was working with some institutional investors uh, that was using our application, the Analyst Pro application. And what we were identifying was they're going in cap rates. They're still paying these high prices, meaning they're going in cap rates are still, you know, five, five and a half percent at the time of acquisition. But the institutional investors are starting to look at exit cap rates and increasing their exit cap rates in the future, meaning that if they're going to look at a three, five, six, seven year hold on an investment, they're actually adjusting their cap rates up as each year goes. And so we made an adjustment in our application, our analysis application, to allow for a variable cap rate at sale. So what somebody could do is when they purchase that property on day of acquisition, let's say they purchase it at the 5.5% cap rate, they could do an analysis and look at it and say, okay, well, in one year from now or two years from now, maybe we're going to sell it at a 6.5 cap, 1% higher. Maybe two years after that, it's going to be a 7.5 cap. And that's what we're seeing the institutional investors start to do in their upfront analysis is come in and say, hey, we're going to buy this property at this price today, but we're going to analyze and analyze the overall return or internal rate of return on that property based on a higher exit cap rate. So we're seeing cap rate of one to two percent over the next four to six years increasing on the property and as you know if cap rates go up and the NOI stays the same prices go down all right well that means something from a CCM instructor and someone who predicted it back in 07 Todd Coleman thanks for joining us today thank you Michael pleasure being here we appreciate it well stay tuned we'll have more on this subject boom bubble or bust I'm Michael Bull this is the commercial real estate show we'll be right back 
Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today our topic is boom, bust, or bubble. We're talking about the cycle. Where are we? What's happening? Please welcome my next guest. It's Mitch Rochelle. He is the U.S. Real Estate Practice Leader for PwC. He's joining us on the phone today. Mitch, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Michael. Well, we appreciate it. And Mitch, there's a lot of talk about you know this cycle kind of being a little long in the tooth. Uh, where are we? I'll give you a historical perspective. If you go back to the Lincoln administration, literally, and look at all of the boom-bust economic cycles, one of the big takeaways is that the cycles that we've seen of late are considerably longer than the cycles today. If you look at the period from the mid-1800s out to 2009, there were 33 cycles. But as you go through time, if you go to, from World War II to 2009, there were only 11 cycles. So. The cycles that we're seeing um, are considerably longer in length, and the one we're in right now, we're probably 76 months into it. So I'm sure your next question is, where are we in that cycle? But I'll just go with data and tell you that we're 76 months into it. And so where are we in the cycle? <laughs> How did I know you were gonna ask me that? So my new fun answer because people always ask me what inning we're in. I'm going with the, it's a double header, and we're in the beer and restroom break in between the games and the double header. So I'll say we probably won the first game, and it's not terribly clear if we're going to win or lose the second game or whether or not it's going to go into extra innings. But I'll tell you that the first game went into extra innings, and it was a win. Well, that would, uh, I would translate that into then we're in the middle of a great cycle that's going to last a while. It's, it's going to last for a while. The fundamentals, nothing is really heated up, and I'm sure either in this segment or in the next one, you probably want to talk about specific markets and property types, but nothing is really overheating. And what's interesting about the regulatory framework in banking if you go back and look at the last four cycles that we've had, two of them were caused by the real estate industry, the savings and loan crisis of the 80s and the most recent financial crisis. Arguably, the savings and loan crisis was caused by a deregulation of the lending industry that led to um, crazy overbuilding and a tax code that was in favor of taking real estate risk which led to both worlds sort of colliding. I'm not making a comment on whether or not regulation is good or bad. I'm hopefully just stating facts. If you look at the most recent financial crisis that we had, we see an abundance of regulation in response to it. And what that regulatory framework has done, it's made it difficult for lenders to make loans, whether they be residential loans, construction loans, commercial real estate loans. And that regulatory framework and the difficulty for borrowers has kept volumes down and served to not reinflate a bubble. And arguably, low interest rates, historically low interest rates, would make a case for reinflating the bubble. However, we don't have a lending 
a regulatory framework that lines up with that. So we're in a good place because we haven't overbuilt. So how long are we in this good place for? If you look into your crystal ball, uh, how many years, I guess is what you're saying, how many years do we have left of uh, kind of being in this, this great uh, cycle of expansion? Too bad we're not on Skype because I just shook the magic eight ball, which said, don't answer Michael Bull's next question. <laughs> um, I think the safe answer is the low interest rate environment and how investors feel about it. So um, given we have a minute and a half before the break, I'll make it quick. When we did the emerging trends work and I covered this on your show a couple of months back, we asked market participants, what are the prospects for profitability for the industry for the upcoming year? And we have 84% of the participants feeling that the profitability is good to excellent, which by the way is identical to the response we got 10 years ago in 2006. But what we also asked them was, what is the likelihood that rates are going to rise in the following year? And we got the highest response that we've ever gotten on the notion of interest rates going up. So sentiment is as strong as it's ever been, but the belief that rates are going up is equally as strong. So what I'll tell you is the real estate market participants feel that rates are going up, but they also feel that, that prospects of profitability are strong. So they're baking into everything a rate rise. I don't think that causes the wind to come out of the sails of the real estate industry, whether we're talking about the housing market or commercial real estate. For how long? 2016 and most likely beyond, the question will become, how will the Fed act? 25 basis points here, 25 basis points there, baked into everybody's thought process. Anything greater than that, quicker than that, could be a problem. Okay. Well, we're going to take a short break, as Mitch said, and when we get back, we're going to talk about where we are for the various property types and geographic areas and classes of properties. So stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show, and we will be right back. Does your company provide professional services to the commercial real estate industry? The Commercial Real Estate Show is an excellent way to reach your target audience. For advertising options, visit CommercialRealEstateShow.com or call 888-612-SHOW. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today our show title is Boom, Bust, or Bubble. We have Mitch Rochelle with us. He's with PwC. He's their U.S. real estate practice leader and Mitch, one of the things I think that uh, people talk about where we are in the cycle, uh, like every property, class of property in geographic area around the country is in the same uh, stage of the cycle, but that's really not true. Let's talk about some of the differences there uh, for some of the various property types and areas. You know, what do you see? So look, I'm going to take two big buckets. The first is going to be the apartment subsector and then we'll jump into office. So if you just think fundamentals for the apartment subsector, we have three and a half million Americans, many of whom are millennials, some are sort of leftover Gen Xers, who are in the household formation bucket, meaning that statistically they've moved out of their parents' house, but they, we haven't built a new home for them, whether it be a single family home or an apartment. So what that is is a comparison of housing starts and household formations. 
So with that kind of robust demand, we've continued to build apartment product at a rate considerably greater than we've built uh, single-family product, yet rents continue to rise. So if you look at that underlying fundamental, it argues for there not being a bubble, not being overbuilt building going on in apartments. However, we definitely see cranes in the skyline. So I figured I'd highlight a couple of markets, uh, if you don't mind. Let's take San Francisco, for example. So historically, we've added to new supply of apartments at a rate of about 2 to 3% a year, meaning the new additions are roughly 2% of the existing inventory. Right now in the United States, we're adding new supply of apartments of a rate of about 3.6%. So that's a little bit greater than the historical trend. However, take a market like San Francisco, we're adding at 7.4%, but more importantly, rent as a percentage of household income in San Francisco is almost 31% versus a national average of just over 21%. So what we're seeing there is very expensive product being built and a lot of it. So San Francisco may find its way being a little bubbly. Well, it's interesting because I would have thought that uh, the percentage of uh, rental payments to income would even be higher in San Francisco right now. So what does that mean for the sustainability of the apartment market and some of those heated up markets like San Francisco? San Francisco is one of those markets that we really have on sort of bubble watch because so much of the growth there is tied to the technology industry. And while it has great net immigration of people moving into the market, looking for jobs, if there would be any hiccup in the capital markets as it relates to technology, um, whether it be an IPO that doesn't do well or earnings reports in the, one of the companies there that were a little off, it could cause a little bit of a stutter step in the continued growth of that economy and may question whether or not that rent level is uh, justified. I'll give you another market by comparison, if you're so inclined, which is Nashville. Nashville made it into the top 10 in emerging trends, as you recall from our show a couple months ago. They're also adding inventory at a big rate, roughly 7.6%. But by comparison, Nashville has a rented percentage of income of 17.5%. So what's interesting is Nashville is a considerably more affordable market, not only from a cost of living, but from a cost of doing business. And that combination is what will continue to sustain the growth of the economy in a market low cost of doing business, low cost of living. So the reason why we have bubble watch on for a market like San Francisco is because it has a high cost of living, but it also has a growing cost of doing business. Well, it's interesting that you have a, a bubble watch because uh, James, our show producer, that's one of his fears when he is bathing his son in the bathtub is uh, a <laughs> bubble, bubble watch. watch. That's a different right. bubble, uh, but I'd also caution James to be looking out for that bubble. Be to watch out for that one. Well, what about the uh, office market? Where are we uh, in the uh, cycle there? Interesting thing about offices, and one of the things we took a look at is the inventory of office space across the country by decade in which the office um, stock was put into service going back to the 40s. And we compared that against a landscape of growth in office using jobs and sort of total jobs and also the percentage of job creation in this country that is office using jobs. And this is something you can share with uh, your audience in the video version. Unfortunately, they don't get to see my pretty face live or my great hair live, but more importantly, 
What's interesting is, if you look at it, we're continuing to create office using jobs in this country, but we haven't meaningfully added to the stock of office space since the 80s. So the fundamentals on paper for the office subsector, subsector continue to look strong. The only challenge there is the square footage per employee, because right now the forecasts are less than 150 square feet per employee, and if you go back 10 years, we were at 250 square feet per employee. So the question will be, if we shift towards less and less square feet per employee, we can continue to grow office using jobs and not add to space. But if there's pushback at the, let's say, 150 square foot per employee mark, and the workforce says, we need space, we need space, then what we're going to find is the need for new construction. So right now, because demand is high and we haven't added the supply, we're seeing an uptick in rents in apartments. And in fact, data from our upcoming um, PwC Real Estate Investor Survey suggests that the office sector is going to see rent growth in the 3% uh, range. So that's pretty strong. And I know you have Ryan Severino on the show, so he can give you Reese data on office rent growth. But we're seeing rent growth that's meaningful which is justifying the cap rate levels that we're seeing as well. So you're saying we're on a break here, but third inning, fourth inning, well, we'll find out. We have to take a break. We'll be right back with more Boom Buster Bubble. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Would you like to shake hands with decision makers in your favorite commercial real estate sector? Visit interfaceconferencegroup.com. For multifamily student and senior housing, to net lease and healthcare conferences all over the country. Visit interfaceconferencegroup.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Our topic today is boom, bust, or bubble. We have Mitch Rochelle with us on the phone. He's a U.S. real estate practice leader with PwC. And Mitch, one of the things that we're hearing from a lot of folks today is uh, they're a little worried about the low cost of money that some people may be overpaying for some commercial real estate assets. What do you think the impact will be for values and cap rates of rising interest rates? So let me sort of debunk the premise that people are overpaying exclusively because rates are low. Um, there is a little bit of a cash flow dividend that you get because you're borrowing money at a lower rate. But I think that the cap rate compression that we're seeing in the marketplace is really more a function of the availability of equity that's out there and the fact that there's this ongoing chase for yield, all of which seems to have been justified in some of the subsectors by cash flow growth. So. If we saw cap rate compression and we didn't see cap rate, uh, we didn't see cash flow growth, I don't think cap rate compression would be sustainable. But when you have um, year over year growth, let's take the lodging industry for a second. Lodging industry is growing rev par at six and a half percent when GDP is not even three percent. Okay, the industrial subsector is seeing rent growth in five percent range. Um, so that's justifying cap rate compression. Multifamily that I talked about in the previous segment is seeing rent growth year over year, which again justifies uh, the cap rate compression. So I don't see that there's really a interest rate driven phenomenon exclusively. The question though is what happens if rates go up 
and can we sustain that? Um, and is there enough wind in the sails of the strong fundamentals? And I think I hopefully made that case in the previous segment that the fundamentals do look strong enough, at least on paper and in reality. Okay, and let's get back to uh, something you were talking about earlier. We were talking about what inning uh, we're in, and if we use a, a nine-inning game, you, maybe you're saying we're, we're in the middle of the game here. What about with um, B properties or C properties or, or even A-type uh, class properties that are maybe in some of the smaller and tertiary markets around the country where you know, those cap rates really haven't compressed to what we're seeing in some of the gateway markets? Uh, 2016 and beyond maybe years of smaller markets getting their due in a good way. Um, if you just sort of go back, and I can't help but plug emerging trends in real estate, we see all the big gateway markets moving out of the survey top 10 and smaller markets moving in. And that's not PwC or ULI talking, that's investors talking. So I think that that's a sustainable trend in terms of um, investors looking for fundamentals in smaller markets that really look better on paper than the fundamentals in the longer, bigger markets, which may be, as you said earlier, a little long in the tooth from a, um, where they are in recovery. So you may be in early innings in Nashville, and you may be in late innings in San Francisco, and that's why we're seeing a rotation of capital into those smaller markets. Yeah, I mean, that's very interesting because, you know, we have listeners all over the country and all over the world, and some of them are investing in institutional quality A properties, but uh, some of them may be investing in, in smaller properties in, in small markets where they might still be in a recovery. I know right here in Atlanta, you know, we're in very much an expansion market, but we still have some areas, pockets around Atlanta that are in recovery, and some even in distress. So uh, very interesting views there. And uh, Mitch, we appreciate uh, you being on and, and join us on the phone next time. We want you on Skype next time, right? And by the way, right now I'm on Periscope also, which right. is just showing my social media dexterity right there, Michael. There you go. Perfect. Well, we really want to see your, your hair as well next time. My hair is on Periscope right now, <laughs> if you want it. All right, Mitch, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Michael. And thank you for joining us out there on one of the 47 radio stations. Maybe you're listening on iTunes. Maybe you're on Podomatic or the commercialrealestateshow.com. We appreciate you being with us. And if you want to check us out on Twitter, I'm at, at Bull Realty or at CRE underscore show, show. All right. Next week, we're going to have a contract and a lease negotiation live with attorneys. Don't miss it. See you then. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit excelligent.com. That's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. Commercial Search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit commercialsearch.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit CREshow.com.